I've seen a lot of movies over the years, but growing up, I wasn't really the best at remembering specific ones. Of course, I would know what happened in the movie, but a lot of the time I would forget its name, characters' names, or the actors' names. So when I would refer to specific movies or people, it would always be that guy with the face, or that one where the thing happened. Obviously I wasn't, and am still not, good at describing things, so it would often become a sort of guessing game as my parents would try to figure out what I meant and decipher my descriptions. So one year, it was December, and we were trying to decide on a Christmas movie to watch. There was a movie that I really wanted to watch, but I didn't know what it was called. I tried, but for the life of me, I just couldn't remember its name. But this was a well-known movie that had a pretty iconic line associated with it. Naturally, that was the only way I could think of to describe the movie. So I said, let's watch yippee ki motherfucker." My parents just stared at me. Then my mom said, do you mean Die Hard? Yes. Yes, I did mean Die Hard. And honestly, ever since then, I barely even refer to the movie by its actual name. But at least my parents know what movie I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, and I love old movies. Hello, film historians. I'm Derek, and I love old movies. We've got Sam the Sidekick here. Hello, and welcome to episode 19. We've come a long way. I keep thinking that every week about this time, especially with us coming up on the big 20th episode milestone. That is a milestone. And just like when we hit our 10th, we are going to hit you with a spectacular, featuring not a traditional recap show, but with a plethora of guests talking about movie stuff. Plethora. That's a good word. It's one of the best words. We need to use it more. We'll work it into every show. A few times. Well, we can start by letting our plethora of listeners know how much we appreciate them and what we have in store for them. We sure can. After you. Well, each week we see our podcast grow. Mm -hmm. We get more listens. We do. More subscribers. Yep. More of all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. And that's all because of our listeners. You guys are super cool for checking our show out, and cooler still for doing it more than once. You keep coming back, we'll keep making them, that's the deal. That's a good deal. It's the sort of deal where everyone wins. Like I said, a good deal. So, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll keep doing what we're doing, and the show will just keep getting better and better. And, as always, let us know what you think. The best way to do that is to drop us a comment on the socials. Like on Facebook. I love old movies, the podcast. The Instagram. I love old movies, the podcast. Le Twitter. At Ilom Podcast. Or one of those good old-fashioned emails you hear about. I love old movies, the podcast at gmail.com. All one word. So, looking ahead, next week, we have our 20th episode spectacular, in which Sam and I... And some guests... ...are going to be discussing our respective picks for the greatest portrayal of Santa Claus in film history. It's going to be pretty awesome, actually. I think I've worked out who mine is going to be. Oh, I've got mine all ready to go, as well as a few honorable mentions. We can do that? It's our show. We can do anything we want. Oh, sweet. 
Now, last week we already mentioned that Bill Van Vagel from Phantom Galaxy and Mallory Jacobson from Movie Lovers will be joining us, so we should share the rest of our guests. Just to build the excitement even higher. High excitement is good excitement. So joining us will also be Mom. Yeah. She's coming back for some more. Yeah, Nikki was here for the 10th episode show, and, you know, she does a lot of work behind the scenes for the podcast, like helping us with research. Keeping our dog away from the door when we're recording. Uh-huh. Maybe not the most glamorous jobs, but it totally matters. And I know she loves Christmas movies, so she'll have a good Santa pick for sure. Then rounding out our panel will be Brent Rombo. Brent is one of the people behind Pet Rock Radio, which is an online alternative radio station that broadcasts worldwide right out of our hometown of Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Brent and I have had some fun collaborations in the past, including playing benefit shows together and Tripsonics providing music for a play I was directing. That I was in. Yep. So it's cool to have him on, and we're looking forward to that. Following the 20th episode, we'll have a special show where we'll recap all of season one. Sort of a clip show. Yeah, and in it, we'll look at the 18 movies that we've covered so far and put them into a rank order list from best to worst. The definitive ILOM ranking. And after that, a brief break for the holidays until we come back in the new year with our all-request month of January. That is going to be a lot of fun. You know what? It's all a lot of fun. But today... This show. This very one. We are going to be taking a look at one of the most infamous... Preposterous. Ridiculous. Low quality. Christmas films of all time, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Now, this film came out in 1964. Isn't that a bit late for us? Yeah, but we did The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and that was a bit early for us, so it all balances out. Oh, yeah. I like it. Let's get to work. The director of this opus is Nicholas Webster. Now, he had 29 directing credits, most of which are from his work with television or on documentaries. He's most remembered for his work on the CBS program The Violent World of Sam Huff, which showed the first use of a wireless microphone on television, and the ABC close-up documentary Walk in My Shoes, which was nominated for an Emmy as the best television program of the year. Also, he did the ABC special Riding the Rails, The Great American Train Story, which featured Johnny Cash. His only feature film was Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, but I guess if you only get to make one, at least make it memorable. Webster passed away in 2006 at the age of 94. The writer of this film was Glenville Merrith. Was it really, though? Well, I think he was. That's what the credits say. But there's absolutely zero information about this guy anywhere. No IMDb page, no Wikipedia page, no nothing. I couldn't even find his date of birth. Glenville Merrith is a complete mystery. So... Does he even exist? I guess we'll never know. Please, if anyone listening knows who Glenville Merrith is or was, please let us know. This is something we need to get to the bottom of. This might not be a fruitful search. Just get to the actors. Okay. Starring this film in the role of Santa Claus is John Call. I'm going to go out on a limb right here and suggest that he will not be on your pick for greatest screen Santa of all time next week. Well... I don't want to give any spoilers, but no, he won't be. That's good. Carry on. Call was primarily a stage actor, appearing in 19 Broadway productions over a 30-year career. His screen career wasn't filled with highlights, however. 
Mostly he played bit roles, little more than extras, and frequently uncredited. Roles with character names like Clerk, or Bellboy, or Ticket Taker. Incredibly, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians might be the highlight of his film career, where he has a clearly prominent and starring role. Granted, it's in a notoriously bad film, but he was the star, and that can't be taken away from him. It was, however, basically the end of his screen career, as it was only followed up with two very minor roles, and only one of those was in a film, The Anderson Tapes. Never equaling his Broadway success, John Call's film career is one of obscurity, and he passed away in 1973 at the age of 64. I'm going to talk a bit about the dubious career of Pia Zadora, who might be the closest thing this film has to a name in terms of the cast members. Yeah, but yeesh, what a name. A child performer on Broadway from the age of six, and a singer with a recording contract before she was 15, Pia Zadora is further proof that having connected parents can get you into the industry far more easily than talent can. Well, we know this is true. Zadora's father was a Broadway pit musician, and her mother was a theater wardrobe designer, which explains the connections. She appeared in a few Broadway productions before she was 12, including a two-year run in Fiddler on the Roof. Zadora was considered to be a fine singer, and in fact, her music career could be called fairly successful. Her acting career, though? Oh, lay it on us, Sam. So... Santa Claus Conquers the Martians was her first film, where she plays the Princess of Mars, Germar. But after that, she didn't make films until the 1980s, when she appeared in 1981's Butterfly. She won the Razzie for Worst Actress for that one. She won the award again the next year, acknowledging her performance in The Lucky Lady. And in fact, despite the fact that the bulk of her film career was only five movies and was effectively over by 1983, she was still runner-up for the Worst Actress of the Century Award, losing to Madonna. Oh, and yet she won the Golden Globe for New Star of the Year for Butterfly. Well, again, she had connections. In the 70s, she had married a businessman, Rick Rickless, who was 32 years older than her. He was one of the major shareholders in Dubonnet, which Zadora became the spokesmodel for, and he has the kind of wealth that buying an award for his wife wasn't out of the question. In fact, it was so widely assumed that that's what indeed happened, the Golden Globes retired the category she had won the award in the following year. Wow. Now, she did do a fair amount of stage, and her sing singing career was fine, including a tour opening for Frank Sinatra but her acting was never well-received by neither critics nor audiences. Well, you don't get nominated for Worst Actress of the Century by accident. No, you don't. Pia Zadora is still alive and lives in Las Vegas. Intended to fill a gap in the Yuletide science fiction fantasy marketplace and offer children a film that was not produced by Disney, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians was the brainchild of producer Paul Jacobson. Culling together a cast of Broadway performers and filming in an airplane hangar converted to a film studio on Long Island, the film enjoys the reputation of being one of the worst ever made. That's not really true, though. I mean, it's bad, but... Well, it's cheaply and ineptly made, but I think it's more the sort of film that nestles into the so-bad-it's-good category. There are redeeming qualities here, 
And that's why, despite its poorness, the film was revived for years at Christmas theater matinees, and why Mystery Science Theater 3000 covered it, and why there have been stage revivals of the show in both a musical and a non-musical version. We put it on stage ourselves, kind of. We did. Uh, quick side note, Sam and I are part of a theater company, and we actually staged a live dramatic reading of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians two years ago. We did, I think, four shows? And the television broadcast. Right. So, all that happened. Full disclosure, we kind of love this movie. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea of this movie, anyway. Totally. So, in our version, I played Voldar, and Sam played Lomas, uh, who sort of absorbed Stobo into the character, and we did kind of that cackling villain and toady sidekick thing. It worked. It really worked. And we had a cast of local actors, and we brought the whole thing to life in a different way from what people who might have seen the film would remember. Well, and we met that one guy who came to the show, and he remembered going to see it in theaters when he was a kid. Oh, yeah, right. He said he liked our version better. <laughs> well, we had higher production values. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were saying that this film, despite all the negative stuff, actually has a big piece of history sort of attached to it. Well, it does. No matter what else you could say about this film, positive or negative. Mostly negative. One thing you cannot take away from it is this. The first appearance of Mrs. Claus in a film or TV show is in this movie. What? That's unbelievable. Believe it, kid. It's a fact. For all the films and TV shows that featured a Christmas story or Santa Claus, before this film in 1964, Mrs. Claus had never appeared. That's a cool bit of trivia. And, and a great positive legacy for the film. Something that anyone ragging on this movie can always point to and say, yeah, but... Well... What's the tail of tape on this one, Sam? So we have a 2.7 on IMDb. Ew. The audience score is 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the tomato meter is 22%. Of course. The film won no awards. What? That's an outrage. <laughs> but it can be watched on Tubi and YouTube, and since it resides in public domain, it can turn up anywhere, really. We open with title cards overlaid on a spacey background, and the song plays. Jumpin' Jiminy, he can climb down any chimney. An outline drawing of Santa moves across the screen, changing the background cards. It's cute. Quaint. A real quo by the quay. This song is longer than I remember. Why is it still going? These sorts of things always overstay their welcomes. A news reporter for KID-TV has a TV crew at Santa's workshop for an interview. This broadcast is being wa watched by Martian kids Bomar and Gurmar. The workshop looks really good. There's lots of elves hard at work. We meet Santa as he joins the interview. John Call really looks the part. I'll say. And there she is, Mrs. Claus. Her first moment on camera ever, and she looks a bit foolish. And not wearing the reds. It's too bad she wasn't wearing red. There's a toy of a Martian, and the comment is made that if there are people on Mars, hopefully they have a Santa. But meanwhile, on Mars, Kimar is looking for Droppo. Kimar is the Martian king, and Droppo is the comedy relief character, and he seems to be Kimar's assistant or servant. Turns out the kids have lost their appetite since they have been watching TV programs from Earth, which have been rotting their little Martian brains. And this has been happening to children all over Mars. As king, Kimar has to do something. 
Kimar calls the council chiefs, including Voldar, who's clearly the villain right off the bat, to meet Chochum the Wise, who will tell them what to do to save the children. And the answer is, go get Santa. Earth has Christmas, Mars does not, and this is bad, see? Martian young don't really have childhoods. They never play, they never learn to have fun. So far, the sets look really cheap, but are pretty creative at least. The costumes, though, especially for the Martians, are really cheap looking. What? Green turtlenecks and football helmets with TV antennas aren't doing it for you? So Mars needs a Santa. Uh Voldar thinks this is a bad idea, but Kimar readies the rocket ship for a quick trip to Earth. The ship flies through space before orbiting Earth. Voldar is quite unimpressed by Earth cities. There's a gag where they look for Santa, and they discover people dressed as Santa gathering money for charities. And this is very confusing for the poor Martians. Meanwhile, Earth Defense are concerned about a spaceship they have detected. And we see found footage of soldiers and army bases and missile launches, and jet fighters taking off. The Martians land, and we see Earth kids Billy and Betty Foster. They're listening to a radio broadcast. The Martians approach them and ask for help finding Santa. Billy explains about the North Pole, and Voldar insists on abducting the children so they don't raise an alarm. Voldar is taking this mission very seriously. I feel Kimar really is a bit careless, but Voldar is on the ball. On the ship, Droppo explains to the kids how everything works. Droppo and the kids get along great. But then Billy and Betty hide and overhear the Martian plan to abduct Santa. So Billy breaks the radar shield, so the Martian ship will be detectable by the Space Force. The Space Force? There's a prediction for you. It's not just the Simpsons that predict everything. Billy and Betty try to help Santa, but run afoul of the most ridiculous polar bear ever. Voldar learns that the children have escaped, and he challenges Kimar's authority. Voldar is a jerk, but he just wants to protect Martian culture. Hence, the Voldar was right meme. Voldar was right. Also, that's the worst bear costume I've seen in my life. The kids are located by Torg the robot, and that robot costume makes the bear look like an Academy Award-winning special effect. It's literally all cardboard boxes and spray paint. Kimar doesn't want to hurt anyone, but Voldar laments the plights of Mars. It's gone soft. You know, I have to say, I'm wondering, how do I get three pros out of this movie? Just trust the process. Okay. Torg attacks the workshop, and Santa thinks he's just a big toy. And he tames Torg easily. Did Santa use toy magic on it? Voldar charges in, firing his freeze ray on the elves and Mrs. Claus. Santa is taken away, and we see newspapers and newscasts explaining what happened to Santa, and the forces of the world unite to plan a rescue operation. The American space program has a German head scientist. Hey, just like in real life back then. And we see stock footage of rockets launching. On board, Santa and the kids are in a cell. Santa tells a music anecdotes, but the kids are pretty glum. They all like Droppo, though. The Martians realize they are being pursued through space by Earth ships, and they detect Billy's sabotage. And Voldar decides to blast the kids and Santa out of the airlock. I mean, his methods are a bit extreme, but you have to admire his conviction. And Voldar truly believes he is right. Villains who believe they are morally correct make the best villains, because in their mind, they're the heroes. You're giving this way too much credit. It's not that clever. No, of course it's not. But it's a lot more enjoyable if you assume that it is that clever. Fair. So Kimar and Voldar come to blows over the airlock stunt, and Kimar kicks his ass. 
And then Santa and the kids arrive. They crawled out the air duct. Why was there an air duct in the airlock? The ship arrives back on Mars. Voldar is in custody, and Santa and the kids are honored guests. But Voldar escapes, and this puts Kimar on alert. Santa and the kids come to Kimar's place and meet Bomar and Girmar. When Santa meets them, everyone just laughs. It's so weird, so uncomfortable, no one talks, they all just laugh. This is horror movie level creepy. The plan is to create a toy workshop on Mars, but the realization that he will never return to Earth hits Santa hard. And meanwhile, Voldar is hiding in a cave with his thugs, planning a revenge. And when he hears about the toy workshop, he loses his mind. Back at the new toy workshop, a fully automated factory makes all the latest toys. Santa doesn't love the computerized system, though, and Billy and Betty become quite homesick. Droppo dresses in Santa clothes and goes back to the workshop at night to make more toys while the real Santa sleeps. But Voldar and his men had arrived, skulking in the darkness like bumbling Scooby-Doo villains. Droppo Claus shows up, is mistaken for the real one, and Voldar and crew capture him and take him back to the cave. Santa and the kids come to the workshop looking for Droppo, who they realize is missing, but he's not there. And when they get to work, the toy machines don't work properly. Voldar! Sabotage! And how do the bad guys not recognize Droppo? His face is green, and he has antenna. Kimar realizes that this is all the work of Voldar and goes to capture him. Voldar shows up and offers to return Santa if the toy machine is destroyed and Santa returns to Earth. But Kimar knows they have Droppo, so he no-sells their threats. Voldar and Stobo are captured and locked in a broom closet. A Mars broom closet? Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Droppo escapes the cave, and Voldar hits Kimar with a water ski, and he also escapes. What? Hits him with a what? You saw it. Now free, Voldar goes to attack Santa, and we get the Battle of the Toy Factory. In which the kids attack Voldar with toys, while he stands in place and is completely overwhelmed. And he sells it. Toy soldiers, water guns, bubbles, paper planes, he gets his ass whooped. And then the kids beat him with bats. That part's a little more intense. Utterly beaten, Voldar is humiliated and captured and taken to Mars jail with his men. A hasty decision is made to promote Droppo to the Santa of Mars, and the kids and Santa can return to Earth. Merry Christmas greetings are exchanged. It's very heartwarming. And Droppo Claus is going to bring joy to Martian children. The ship flies back to Earth while we get the song again over the end credits. Well. (laughs) Yep. Let's pro and con this. I'm still not quite sure what to say. Well, my pros. Number one, John Call looks great as Santa. While his performance is a bit limited, it's just a lot of laughing and very weak jokes, his look is great. The movie got that absolutely right. Number two, Voldar. Another great character with a sort of terrible performance. The idea of a protectionist Martian neoconservative is just perfect. Voldar wants to preserve an old way of life in the face of progressive ideals. He's consumed by his own nostalgic sensibilities to the point of committing atrocities to preserve what he believes to be the most valuable. Christmas in general, and and certainly movies about it, frequently explore themes of nostalgia. And who is more nostalgic in this film than Voldar? In his own way, he may have more Christmas spirit than anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. number three i can't hate this film 
It's too earnest, it's too weird, and honestly, it's too cool an idea. Had this film been made by creators with more talent, we might have had a true classic, and not an ironic one. But as it stands, it was made by people with more gumption than artistic vision, and while that might have robbed us of a better movie, at least we still have this one. It's not a terrible film. It's cheaply made, sure. The script needed a few more drafts. The camera work could have been less static, and the whole thing could have been done better from top to bottom, but the idea, the premise, is great. I'd honestly love to see a sequel set years later and see how Mars and its children changed now that they had a Santa of their own. Some sort of reverse premise and a title like Santa Claus Conquers the Earthlings? I'd be there for that. Cons. Number one, the laughing. There's so much laughing in this film, it's like they didn't want to have to write extra dialogue to explain this nonsense, so they just had people laugh. And every laughing scene goes on too long, it's just weird. Making matters worse is that there's no funny jokes or situations in the film at all. It's ridiculous. It's not funny. And that's a big difference. I realize it was made for children, but aside from the insane final fight in the toy workshop, I can't even see a child laughing at this film. Number two. The entire production is cheap, poorly lit, poorly shot, with low sound quality, terrible costumes and makeup, and blown takes clearly in the final cut. It's not art, and it's not a good production. It deserves a lot of the ridicule thrown its way. Number three, the acting. There's a wide range of performances in this film, all the way from hammy to inept. No one truly stands out as turning in the sort of performance that you could admire. That so many of these performers were Broadway actors just makes this even more shameful that better performances couldn't have been drawn out of them. This film, though, is absolutely a watch. Perhaps it's not a holiday classic, but a holiday curiosity. And it's something everyone should see. Okay, so my pros. One, Voldar. What a great character. He was such a cool character. How could I not love him? He's just this guy who's fed up with everyone's crap and doesn't want any unnecessary changes. And he's the one who gets yelled at and told he's wrong. I kind of feel bad for him. He likes how life is on Mars and doesn't want some random outsiders coming in and messing everything up. Yes, he's a little murderous, but everyone else pushed him to it. He has some great motivation and a less great method. Two, the technology on Mars. There was some pretty neat stuff. The sleep spray, the food pills, the Q-ray, the nuclear curtain. They were kind of cool. I feel like they had some pretty interesting ideas, they just didn't have the ability to go all out with them, which left everything coming across as a half-baked idea that was cheaply and poorly made. 3. The song. It was just so cheery and upbeat. And it's super catchy. I remember the first time I heard the song, I couldn't get it out of my head for a solid week. I think it's really funny that the song spells out Santa as S-A-N-T-A, but then it sings Santa Claus. But I just found it a pretty fun song. My cons. 1. The Martian makeup. It was literally just green paint that was rubbed on the Martians' faces. And it was different in every scene. Clearly they didn't care about continuity. And can we talk about their costumes for a second? Apparently wearing green clothes, a weird helmet, and some inconsistent face paint all of a sudden make you a Martian. I have to say... It wasn't very believable. Two. Santa's laughing. 
all he did was laugh and make bad jokes throughout the entire film. And don't get me wrong, I love bad jokes, but the non-stop laughter? It was a bit much. Especially in the scene with the four kids. Nothing about it was funny, so why were they laughing? It was just so creepy how Santa just started laughing and they all joined in. 3. The Performances Oh my gosh, was the acting ever bad. Scratch that, it was horrendous. I honestly can't stand how almost every line is delivered, and none of the actors are compelling in their roles. None of the performances are believable. Everything just comes across as painfully forced and fake. Yes, but in spite of all that? Oh, it's a watch. Yeah. This film is a crazy mess, and I love every weird minute of it. Watch. Watch. Okay. There we go. That was our 18th review and officially the last review we will do for season one. Wow. That's pretty amazing. But we still have two special episodes to go. We sure do. So be sure to check in next week for our 20th episode spectacular and then after that for our season one recap show. And in the meantime, if you liked this episode, please drop us a line in the comments. For sure. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, always remember that you are under no obligation to keep this podcast secret. You sharing us with other people is the best way for us to keep growing. So please help us out with that. Don't keep us all to yourself. We are not a secret. So tell your friends. Tell your enemies. You never know. They might think Voldar is right just as much as you do. Maybe even more. For Sam the Sidekick, I'm Derek. And I love old movies. Additional research for I Love Old Movies, the podcast, is done by Nikki Weatherden. Audio clips come from freefx.co.uk. Images are used through the provisions of fair use, and our theme song, Burning Bridges, is by The Crocs.